ladies and gentlemen, to Mouse House. Tonight's episode is about anxiety and panic disorder. Current time is 9.29 p.m. I hope all of my American listeners had a happy Thanksgiving. Just saying hello to all the international listeners. I hope all of you are having a good week and hopefully a good weekend. So tonight's episode is being made because I don't feel good. (laughs) I was like, you know, just really struggling with my anxiety and my panic disorder right now. And I was laying down. I'm, I'm actually still laying down. And I was like, you know what? Why not just make an episode? Because remember the microphone, I think it broke. Because the microphone, when I was testing it, it was fine. And then I moved, and I think it just got jostled like a wire or something got moved. Or, you know, it was a $50 microphone. And so it's probably, you know, pretty sensitive and not in a good way. Not because it's like high end. Anyways... So, I'm just using my phone so I can lay down or sit up, walk around, do whatever. Because normally, I would hook up the microphone to my iPad mini and then sit down at uh, at the desk, you know. Well, obviously. <laughs> anyway, see, obviously I'm having a hard time explaining things or just, you know... Making sentences make sense. (laughs) You know what I mean. But yeah, dealing with anxiety and panic disorder. You know, for people who don't have this, it's very difficult to understand. And you probably never will. And that's a good thing. I'm very happy that you don't understand that or have any type of clue as to what it feels like. It's, I mean, I could describe it. I wouldn't say it's hard to describe, but the description would leave you kind of like, well, that's weird, you know, like maybe you should see a doctor or something. And a lot of people do. I think the majority of them do because they feel like they're dying, you know. But for the most part, they just give you medication, which I don't take. And I refuse to take. Um, So that's really, really kind of what happens. You know, the reason why I am really against taking any kind of anxiety meds is because it doesn't get rid of the anxiety. Like you still have anxiety. You're not facing it. You're just masking it. And now you're dependent on a pill. And so... Let's say, for whatever reason, they just decide to be like, nope, we're not giving you anymore. Or let's say they prescribe you four Xanax or two Xanax a day. And all of a sudden, the doctor's like, well, I've been giving you two. You should be feeling better. So now you're going to go down to one. You are completely at the mercy of your physician. 
like you are screwed. Okay. So before you can manage your anxiety by yourself or somehow deal with it or find a way to make it better or just lay down like I am, you name it. Okay. Now, you know, that was beforehand. Now it is up to your doctor whether you're going to have to go to the hospital, whether you're going to have to have withdrawals from that anxiety medicine, whether you're going to take one, two, three, or four pills a day, whatever it is. I mean, they own you. And that's it. You're screwed. And I was like, you know, I really don't want to have that or deal with that. And I really don't want to take it because I'm just forever going to be trapped. And it's kind of like, I know I'm going to be trapped with anxiety and stuff forever now, but it can eventually get better. So let's say I did take medication and then I kind of wean myself off. Let's say I went from three pills to two to one a day. And then, you know, let's say they give prescribe me a different medication that's not as strong. And then I go off of that and then I go off completely. Well, I'm back at square one. I have anxiety. It didn't go away. So now I'm just going to have to go back to the doctors and get more. And then I'll probably feel pretty good or manageable or whatever. And then it's just a vicious cycle. I mean, I might as well just start drinking again because with alcohol, you know, if I drink, then my anxiety is manageable or gone. And I'm just like, Hey, I could do this and I could do that. And I could run around and stand in line in a grocery store. I could do all this stuff. Just like if I were taking Xanax or whatever, it's up to me whether I'm going to keep drinking or stop. Whereas with a pill, it's like, I don't have a choice. I have to keep taking it. And I, I don't have a choice. I might be forced to just stop completely or eventually. And it's not up to me. And so that's just that's scary to think about, to be honest. You know, obviously they have rules and they can't just cut you off cold turkey. But, you know, it's it's just, I don't know. It's just scary. It's really, it gives me anxiety thinking about it. <laughs> so thinking about taking anxiety meds gives me anxiety. So why do I want to make it worse? You know, your body is overheating. You know, a lot of the time you're just like, oh my goodness. And for me, you know, I like the cold. I used to like warm weather and cold weather. Both were equally great. I used to love it when it was like 100 degrees, 110. I mean, that was awesome. And then I, I would love it when it was, you know, like 20 degrees or, you know what I mean, 10 degrees, whatever, right? You know, freezing outside. And now after my panic attacks 13 years ago, um, I just, I like the cold. I mean, the colder, the better. It, it took me eight years to finally have a 
quote-unquote normal summer. And what I mean by that is for eight years, I mean, it was just the worst thing ever. You know, the first two years, when I think about that, the first two years after my panic attacks and I developed like panic disorder and just like extreme anxiety, those two years, when I think about those, I honestly can't. I can't comprehend how I was able to make it through that. I'll I'll look back and just be like, my goodness, how did I do that? I have no idea how I got through those first two years. I I I couldn't do it again. I really couldn't. I mean, it was the worst thing ever. And so I still have this today. Um and I'll get I'll go into more detail about this in the episode um, a little bit later but I had such horrible paresthesia in it basically what that feels like it it can be two things it can be numbing and tingling or you can have the kind that I have Um, the best way to describe it the feeling is take like a needle or just a very small piece of metal and put it under a light over a lighter over a flame right and heat it up and then put that on your skin and so it's like a burning hot needle and so that'll go over like my back and my hands and you know like sometimes my chest and you know that kind of area and then sometimes uh Not really my legs, but sometimes, yeah, like my legs and my feet, sort of. But for the most part, it's like my hands, my back, especially, even my head sometimes. And so, like, my scalp and stuff. And I had that for the first two years so bad. I would, during the summertime, because I didn't have AC in my apartment, it was so horrible. I would have to take a t-shirt, put it under the sink, and get it wet right and kind of wring it out put that t-shirt on and drink cold water like freezing cold constantly I was drinking like probably you you know I'm surprised it didn't kill me um drinking probably about like 15 cups or more of water I mean just constantly drinking water freezing cold water and then that t-shirt would eventually you know become dry I'd have to get it wet and I couldn't move like hardly at all you know the only moving I would do during the summertime like during the spring and summertime those first two years was to get up and get the glass of water you know I'd I'd have two glasses and I'd rotate them through the freezer and I would get up get that and sit back down like the paresthesia was so bad and so like when it got hot my heart rate would go way up and I'd have to lay down or something. Um, You know, just the burning needles and stuff because it was warm out. When I would sneeze, it was just a wave of needles, burning needles on my back and my chest. And I mean, just anything, cough or laugh or anything. If I walked a little bit too fast, I mean, it was just like, the worst experience or one of the worst experiences of my life. I mean, 
I do not understand how I made it those first two years. And then the third year, it was bad. And fourth, you know, it just kept going and going. Um, drinking is what got rid of it. When I was drunk, you know, when I was like actively drinking. But then the next day, oh my goodness, it was like year one, year two all over again. And so that really deterred me from drinking because, you know, the repercussions were horrible. And I still have it today. So now this is what's really weird. I, I really don't understand this. And I've been to the ER a bunch of times, you know, for alcohol withdrawal or panic disorder, whatever you want to call it. When I stopped drinking, I had to go to the ER and they had to give me Ativan. And I've asked multiple doctors there. And they know what paresthesia is. And, they, and I explained to them in detail, you know, it's always good to tell your doctor, any doctor, in great detail what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, and and what you're thinking, everything. You know, they are not in the business of playing the guessing game. And they certainly don't want to. Because that is just a waste of time, especially in an ER. You need to tell them everything. Okay, anyways. So I told them. And they're just like, well... I mean, anxiety medicine would probably make it go away. You know, Xanax or whatever. Um, what else? Like Valium, I think, or something, right? I mean, there's a few others. I don't really know. Um, Ativan, you know, that's really what they gave me when I was there. And so the weird thing was it went away. And so w when I drank, then I'd have that horrible paresthesia for like at least two days. Like the next day and the day after. Probably about two to three days. And then it would go away. Um, it was during the summertime. So now this is the weird thing. And that was only during the summer. So if it was winter time, I'd be fine. I wouldn't have that paresthesia, nothing. You know, when I quit drinking, I wouldn't have to go to the ER. I mean, I felt great for the most part. You know, just kind of like normal people hungover, right? And now, eight years when I was actually able to have a decent summer, it switched. And so I'm in this like weird double-edged sword. Now it's like, okay, I'm not really a big fan of the heat, but I can handle it. It's fine. And I really like the winter still, but at the same time, now that paresthesia is coming back, but now it comes back during the cold, during the winter. And so my, my theory is, and, and I'll tell you why my I have this theory. My theory is that it's cold out and my body temperature is fluctuating so much because all of a sudden it's like, you know, let's say I'm working out. That's when the paresthesia will come and then it'll go away, right? Or if I get up like first thing in the morning, like lately every morning, I'll feel that paresthesia like on my hands and it hurts and then on my back a little. And it's like when I'm moving... And so obviously that would get your body temperature up and then it's cold outside. So it's like that huge, you know, difference in temperature. But this is the weird thing. Okay. When I grew up my hair just for fun, I think it was like four months. I just didn't shave my head, you know, like not bald, but it's just like really short. Um, when I shaved my head, I, I didn't shave it for like four months and my hair grew out. All of a sudden that paresthesia just like left. And so that's where I got that temperature fluctuation, you know, being so great. 
I think with having more hair on my head, because I'm not bald or anything, I got really thick hair on my head. Um, you know, with, with having that much hair on my head now, it kept the temperature consistent or more consistent. So I just didn't have that paresthesia anymore. Because when I moved into this tiny house, um, oh yeah, I moved into a tiny house. I'll make an episode about that. <laughs> I, I'm renting it. Uh, anyways, I cut my hair and now that paresthesia came back. So I'm like, oh great. So now I got to grow my hair out, which I don't want to do. If I want to get rid of this paresthesia, like during the winter, because during the summer, that paresthesia is not there anymore. It used to be every summer and now it's the opposite. Um, you know, having panic disorder and anxiety. So that just adds to it, right? The best way I can describe it is it feels like somebody is holding your heart and they're squeezing it. And so it's almost like you almost convince yourself that your heart is having a hard time pumping because somebody is squeezing it. It's like it's trying to expand and it just can't, right? And it also feels like somebody has their hand around your throat and they're choking you. And you feel sometimes, and I've heard this before, sometimes feel like they're, people feel like they're going to pass out. Um, you know, or they're hard of, of like keeping their balance or their vision goes blurry, things like that. The other thing is you, I don't know how this, I don't know how your mind does this in your body, but it's like they come become disconnected. Like your brain and your heart become disconnected and you lose control of your heart rate. So like your heart will just get into that. Oh my goodness. Panic mode. And you just can't stop it. And so your heart rate goes from like, you know, let's say 60, you know, resting, maybe 70, right? And it'll skyrocket to like 150, you know, 180 maybe. You know, that'd be a full-blown panic attack. And so you just can't control it. And it's terrifying. Cause you're like, oh my goodness, my heart's going to explode. That's really what it feels like. When you have a panic attack, you, you're thinking to yourself, you're just like, this is it. Like my heart can't take this. Like my heart is going to explode and I'm going to die. That's really what it feels like. And now imagine that in a grocery store and you're standing in line and there's loads of people around you. I mean, it just amplifies that, oh my goodness, I'm going to die or, you know, like I'm going to collapse on the ground and everybody's going to see me, you know, everybody's going to be looking at me and everybody's going to be like, oh my goodness, this guy's having a heart attack. And for the most part, panic attacks are harmless. They actually, they don't kill you. They don't even damage the heart despite how they feel, you know, it doesn't damage the body. It doesn't really, I've heard that it takes like years off your life but I don't I don't know if that's true or not but I do know it doesn't really damage your body or your heart or anything but it is so miserable you know you have to plan out everything so if you have a a friend family member or 
you know, your significant other, if they have panic disorder or anxiety, it is best to tell them when you're leaving for, let's say you're going out to lunch or going on a dinner date or whatever. Just be like, okay, we are leaving tomorrow or even further in advance. Okay, in three days, we are leaving at 10 a.m. So, you know, that's when we're going to go and eat because that gives them time to prepare. And that's really what you need to do because if it's like, hey, you know, grab your coat. We're going to dinner in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You're like, oh my goodness, I was not prepared. Like, where are we going? You know, how crowded is it? Um, you know, like you, you're going to be thinking of like a bunch of stuff and you're always overthinking too, by the way. And you start psyching yourself out and you're just like, I can't do this. Like, I can't, this is not good. And so the other thing is don't ask them if they're doing okay or, um, how are you feeling? Are you okay? They, they don't want to have to answer that. Like you can already tell they're not feeling good or most likely they will tell you, be like, Hey, look, we got to get out of here. Like I can't stand in line or I can't be in this restaurant or in this store. That's just, that's just not happening. Like we need to leave and you need to get them out of there as fast as you can. Like don't make them run, but just be like, okay, we're, we're leaving because when you tell them like, Oh, tough it out, you'll be fine. Or think about something else or whatever. There are some days where they will be able to do that. And most likely they won't say anything. They'll be like, okay, I'm fine. You know, I could calm myself down, you know, take a deep breath, you know, play with my phone, do whatever. And they'll, they'll figure it out. They, they know how to deal with it. Don't push them because when you push them, they're, they're going to feel trapped and they're like, oh my goodness, now I can't leave when I need to. I'm screwed. Like I am trapped here in, you know, in the store or whatever. Like if they say we need to leave, that's when you need to leave. And it is a huge inconvenience. Trust me. They, they live it every day. Okay. I know I live that every day. Okay. And they rarely leave the house. You know, you, you kind of just become like a hermit and you don't want to leave your house because you're like, Oh, great. Like, what happens if I have an episode outside and I didn't get what I needed to get at the store? And, you know, just like I got to go home. I mean, it's almost like the walk of shame because here you are going out and you're like, okay, I'm fine. I can go to the store, get a few things, stand in line, pay for it, walk out, easy peasy. And then they don't make it and they have to go home. It's very frustrating. So, I mean, it was just, I remember the first two years, the mailbox was like, excuse me. See, that means my anxiety is going down. Once I yawn, I know I'm fine, which I actually am. So I told you podcasting, I love it. 
I love podcasting. I I listen to podcasts. I look forward to doing them because it helps my anxiety. Once I yawn, I'm fine. Um, The first two years of my panic disorder, the mailbox was about 100 feet from my apartment. And it was difficult getting the mail. Like, I would get the mail, like, first thing in the morning, super early, like, 3, 4 in the morning. And then if I didn't wake up in time, you know, maybe I slept in or maybe I drank, you know, um, and I was trying to get sober, then I would get it, like, very late at night. And to this day, ever since I had those panic attacks a long time ago, I quickly learned when my anxiety ramped up and when it went down. So it's in a wave, at least for me. And so in the morning, I could get a ton of stuff done. And then right around like 10 in the morning, I got to be home or I prefer to be home. And then right around like, I don't know, three in the afternoon like I'm okay kind of you know like from two to three maybe I can get something done if like I really need something I can manage but for the most part I stay in because my anxiety is going to ramp up so like it'll ramp up by 10 a.m it might go down if I'm lucky in the early afternoon but it'll ramp up like in the afternoon like you know, four or five in the afternoon, um, you know, in that area and it'll be really bad. And then I don't know, sometimes nine times, nine days out of 10 days, right? Nine, nine out of 10 times it does this. And so by nighttime, I'm fine. So six o'clock, you know, seven o'clock at night, I'm like, okay, I could go go out and about or do something. And for the most part, I feel pretty good. You know, I could stand in line and I'm, I'm, I'm okay, you know, manageable. And so that's why I wake up. I mean, naturally I'm a morning person and I'll wake up at three in the morning because I can get a bunch of stuff done. And so I have a time limit, you know, I'm just like, okay, I can get all this done. And I, I, I gotta be home probably around eight nine in the morning, something like that. Right. And so that's a good, you know, solid five, six hours where I could run around, do what I need to do, come home, hang out, maybe even take a nap. I don't feel good, whatever. And then nighttime, I'll probably go out and about if I need to, and then come back home and I go to bed early and I'll go to bed at nine, 10. And so you, you really learn this kind of schedule. So the other thing is that it really sucks and they hate it too. You, you kind of have to go on their schedule and they feel horrible about it. Believe me. I know I do. And so you really just kind of have to be like, okay, you know, you'll be feeling good at two in the afternoon. Let's go do something then. Don't be like, well, I mean, why don't we just do this at 11 for whatever reason? They can't and they wish they could, 
Believe me, they, they would give anything to live a normal life like they used to. And they just, they just can't. So you really do have to kind of go on their schedule. It, it's really up to them when you're going to be able to pick them up or, you know, meet them somewhere. But anyways, I hope, I hope this all helped. All of you, people with panic disorder, people without it, or, you know, that have somebody in their life that deals with it. Um, yeah, I know this helped me because I feel better. I yawn. So that's good. <laughs> so stay tuned. In the next five days, I will be posting a new episode. Have a good night.